St. Louis and the rest of the universe. This is Cross Defense, and I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller joining you this afternoon on your drive home to tear down the strongholds of the devil. By considering the Lord's Word, and especially today this question about what does the church have to do with doctrine? Uh, should the church just avoid doctrine altogether? It's kind of the D word, dogma. We never talk about that. Or does the church have the authority to create doctrine and create dogma? Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So thanks for joining us. I am joined uh, on the line by two pastors, Pastor Rob Rebow, Pastor Matt Gunai, who are going to join us for this conversation. We're going to let uh, a fourth pastor, Dr. Francis Pieper, author of Christian Dogmatics, also join in the conversation. In fact, he's going to teach us and lead us along as we go through this. Uh, pastors, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Pastor Reba, we'll start with you. T- tell me a little bit about where you're from and what's going on over there for Holy Week. I am uh, a developer of emerging technologies here at Concordia Publishing House, and uh, we are busily working on uh, web solutions for the church uh, as we also uh, celebrate Holy Week. Looking forward to going to the services at uh, my local congregation and also participating in them, helping to lead worship on uh, Good Friday for Trey Ore and also on Holy Saturday for uh, the Easter Vigil. Yeah, all, all the uh, the pastors who are doing extra work are called back to the pulpit for Holy Week because there's so many services, so that'll be great uh, for that. Uh, Matt, tell us about what what's going on with you. Well, I know nothing about emerging technology or integrating anything. Uh, I'm a parish pastor up in suburban Chicago, and we're having services about every day. Yeah, what uh, What's the name of your congregation there? Oh, it's Essential Lutheran Church in Niles, Illinois. Perfect. Yeah, this is a great week. Although I found, you guys got to tell me if this is right, if if you have a similar situation, but I found that uh, Holy Week is one of the greatest weeks to get stuff done because everyone assumes you're so busy that they hold off. They don't call. They don't tell you what's going on. You find all that out on Easter Monday. Is that Have you found that to be true or is that just me? That's been uh, it depends what theory you're talking about. <laughs> That's, that's true. I always um, I shouldn't say that on the radio because everyone's going to say, oh, Pastor Wolfman has got time. We're going to call him up this afternoon. Well, we were going to take a look at this question, dogma and the church, and uh, talk about the, what the role of the church is in hearing dogma, making dogma, rejecting dogma. Even talk about what does dogma mean at all. Uh, a lot of people hear the word dogma or dogmatics or I mean, they use it as an insult. Oh, that person is pretty dogmatic. And that's used as an insult. And a lot of churches will think that way as well. We're not a dogmatic church. We are not held to uh, all the old kind of formulations and stuff like this. Uh, so we want to we kind of dive into that whole realm of conversation uh, and talk about it. Um, Pastor Rebau, get us started with the whole question of dogma. How how ought we to define dogma and think rightly about it from the Scripture? Well, dogma isn't something that the Church invents. There is no dogma apart from what Scripture teaches. And so dogma is just talking about God, talking about Christ, and reiterating the things that Scripture has taught. What's the point of dogmatics? If the Scripture is source of our doctrine, then we, we also, as we talk about Scripture, we're formulating that doctrine. 
the, once the doctrine is formulated, we have to evaluate that doctrine according to Scripture. There are those that claim that doctrine is not needed, but in doing so, they're simply establishing another standard, and that standard itself can be measured by Scripture. So, there. So, doctrine. Can I summarize it this way? So, that doctrine or dogma is simply the church saying what the Bible says. Would that be right? Exactly. Uh, Matt, what about your thoughts on that? As we kind of dig into the question of doctrine, you no doubt have noticed that people have a, what, a disinclination to be doctrinal. They consider the word dogmatic an insult. What do you think about that? Yeah, dogma has some baggage to it, and I'm I'm not entirely sure why, because as you and Rob say, it's just saying what Scripture says. I mean, the first question is, what is Holy Scripture? And we have defined that as the 66 books of the Bible. Uh, the next question is, what does Scripture say? What what does this book actually teach us? What do we believe about it? And then the other two uh, traditional areas of study in theology are historical theology. What has the Church done with this dogma? And then there's practical theology. Now, what do we do today in our context with this teaching? That's fantastic. So the Bible talks, and we say, okay, what does it say? What has the church said that it said, and what do we do with it now? And that's really what we study. I really love it. Uh, what, uh, what about this? Uh, I've found that people think that when we make an assertion, the Bible says this, it's understood to be arrogant. People say, how can you be so sure of yourself? How can you be so s- certain? If you're saying that this is right, and everybody else is wrong, then that's an arrogant sort of position, and we should be humble in our theology, recognizing our own sinfulness, our own fallibility, and so forth, and we shouldn't be so arrogant in how we talk about the doctrine. We should have a more humble approach to dogmatics. How how would you re- respond to that? Rob, you first. Well, last week we talked about the issue of open questions, and um, Pieper notices that open questions are those questions which Scripture hasn't answered. But for those questions that Scripture has answered, when we answer the question from Scripture itself, it's not our answer. We're not being arrogant. Arrogance would be making up our answers, especially to an open question, and then claiming that that answer to that open question is God's answer to the question. Instead, the humble standpoint is to say, I I can't formulate doctrine on my own. I can only say what Scripture has said. And if I'm standing on Scripture, then I'm standing on God's Word, not my Word. Any thoughts on that, Matt? Yeah, yeah. humility and, and confidence, I mean, they can coexist in the same person. Uh, a willingness to listen and be kind versus a willingness to speak and be certain. Um I think that if you are always listening and never coming to a conclusion, that would be frustrating and and that that is a sign of character weakness. But if you're always going around telling everyone what you think it is, but not listening to them and allowing them to respond and seeking to understand them, that would also be a character flaw. So uh, I think that the, the wise theologian is the pastoral theologian who listens to what other people say, uh, seeks to understand where they're coming from. Uh, but then test everything against the word of Scripture. Um, yeah, what you say makes internal sense. I can see how these parts fit together or how you would want to believe that. Let's see what Jesus says about it. And that's mm-hmm. where you pull your doctrine from, and that's where you get your confidence from. 
It, se- it seems like those two things would go together. In fact, that we're listening, and first we're listening to God, and then we're also listening to the people that we're talking to, so that that being a theologian is to be trained in listening. In fact, that reminds me of how Solomon was praying for wisdom, and the, the scripture text there, when Solomon prays for wisdom, is he prays for a listening heart, so that he would be able to listen to God's word, and then he'd be able to listen to the people around him and discern from what's leading to life and what's leading to death, and to be able to make the dis- division between the two. So that the the orthodox theologian, is speaking of dogma or doctrine, the Lord's teaching, not from a place of pride, here's what I think, but rather from the place of humility, here's what the Lord's Word says. Now, there's going to be two errors when it comes to the church and dogma that Francis Pieper is going to point out to us. And if people are following along, you know, they've got their copy of Christian Dogmatics Volume 1 in the driver's seat or, you know, in the passenger seat next to them while they're driving home. Uh, They can find this on page 97, uh, 96 and 97. And the two errors that he's going to point out are the following. One, that the church would have nothing to do with dogmatics at all. Or number two, that the church would think that she herself is the crafter of dogmatics, the maker of dogmatics, the determiner of dogmatics. So let's uh, let's take them both uh, kind of one at a time. Uh, Matt, what do you think about this first error, that the church would have nothing at all to do with doctrine or dogmatics? Well, it seems to me that there's nothing new under the sun, uh, because even today people talk about deeds, not creeds. It really doesn't matter, even in a church, what you believe, as long as you're showing kindness and love to other people, especially the downtrodden. Now, those two shouldn't be put in in, in, in contrast with each other, I think that we should show love and kindness to all people and still hold the word of truth. But what was happening during Peeper's day is the same thing as what's happening our day, which is the same thing which is happening for generations and generations. The devil doesn't try anything new because the old stuff still works. Peeper pointed out that that's sometimes called the social gospel, and it's the idea that um, what is the idea that, hey, we're not interested in the afterlife, we're not interested in heaven and hell, we're interested in earth right here. I mean, we're not interested in the New Jerusalem, we're interested in Boston and Chicago. Uh, we have to serve our neighbor now and not worry so much about eternal life. And And the thing that happens is all doctrine now is brought down to how can we transform this world as if the kingdom of Jesus is of this world. So that So that's this kind of... Uh, social gospel structure of the dogmatic less or the no dogmatic uh, church. Past, uh, uh, Rob, your thoughts on that one? Yeah, so you often hear this phrase, no creeds but Christ. But, um, but when you examine it, you realize that itself is a dogmatic statement. What, and, and it begs other questions. What is a Christ? What does it mean that this man named Jesus from first century Palestine was called Christ. He said things like, we should address our prayers to our Father in heaven, and yet there's only one God. What does it mean that this Jesus wants us to pray to a Father in heaven? How can he say and do these things that only God can do? We're we're left with all these questions, and I, I think to be charitable with this person who's saying no creeds but Christ, or deeds not creeds, they don't want to get stuck arguing over what they think are inconsequential things and instead deal with uh, the problems that are right in front of them that Christians should 
uh, should be very concerned about. And I, I think it's a false dichotomy because there's no reason why Christians can't be concerned about their neighbor and uh, work to serve their neighbor, and yet at the same time uh, be very concerned about the truth that Scripture teaches us. And although um, it seemed like there have been petty arguments in Christianity, and maybe some arguments have been petty, but at the same time on those actual important issues, defining, going back to what Scripture teaches, has created Christian unity, not the Christian division, unity around Scripture and what Scripture teaches, which, which brings us the truth. And the truth is what inspires us to serve our neighbor and love our neighbor. The truth about who we are before God as sinners, the truth about uh, who we are as, as creatures created in the image of God. Those truths, those dogmas, if you will, drive us to serve and love our neighbor and to care about them and about their, their earthly well-being and their eternal well-being. You guys both said so much in those answers, especially that last one, I, I want to pull one, just maybe one thing out of it and and circle around again, and that is that everybody has a dogma. I mean, no deeds, uh, deeds not creeds itself is a dogma. We we have no creed but Christ. That itself uh, is a dogma. Uh, the, uh, the, the, it's we we find the same irony uh, in the people who demand tolerance, and uh, we we find that the demand for tolerance is in fact. Uh, an anti, a non-tolerant demand. There's this, so so that everyone has a dogma, and it's, it's probably just best to recognize it. Uh, if you have a, if you have a dog, let's just take the ma out of it. If you have a pet dog, and, and you don't know you have a pet dog, it's going to be scrounging for crumbs, and probably it's going to be weak and dying. Eventually, it's going to get mad and bite you. And the same thing happens if you have a neglected dogma. If you have a dogma but you don't realize that you have it, you're not going to be caring for it, you're not going to be treating it right, and eventually it'll come back and bite you. And the same thing is happening with the churches who, who say, hey, we don't have a dogma, we don't have creeds, uh, we, we, we're not strict on the teaching, we want everybody to get along, we want to reduce uh, everything to the lowest common denominator. Eventually, they reduce it so low that they cease to be Christians. Uh, Matt, thought, thoughts on on this as we kind of close out this section and then go to the next one, which will be the church making its own dogmas. Yeah, that everyone believes something about God, even if you don't believe he exists. Well, that, that is a positive statement. I believe that God doesn't exist. Um, and when it comes to the social gospel, if you're not worried about the New Jerusalem, instead you're worried about Boston, if you're not worried about your eternal salvation, you're worried about, then you're not going to be worried about someone else's eternal salvation either. And then the gospel becomes just uh, what works, what's practical, how can I alleviate suffering in the here and now? When Christ came for bigger reasons than just the here and now, he came to give us life eternal. Rob, 30 seconds, and we'll start winding down this section and go to the break. Look for the next one. No, I think, uh, I think we're good to go. Well, let's go to a break now. Uh, it won't be too long, and we'll come back and we'll talk about the error on the other side of the ditch. Luther often talked about the theologians as like a drunk peasant who gets up out of the ditch on one side of the road and falls off onto the other. And we can do that on this topic as well. We can have no dogma, no doctrine. We can avoid it on the one hand, or we can try to create our own doctrine, create our own dogma, and insist that people uh, believe on it. That's the ditch on the other side. And so we'll take up the other side of the road. On the other side of this break, stick with us. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, uh, taking the baton for a few weeks from Pastor Jonathan Fisk on Cross Defense on your worldwide KFUO.
Join Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service and congregations across the country as we celebrate Refugee Sunday, a time to lift up the gifts that migrants and refugees bring to our country and to reflect on Christ's message to welcome the stranger. Together, we can continue the mission of welcoming, embracing, and empowering newcomers. Visit lirs.org slash kit to download the Refugee Sunday Kit for your congregations, including worship guides, bulletin inserts, videos, and more. lirs.org slash kit. This week on Issues Etc., we'll get a review of the movie Paul, Apostle of Christ from Pastor Ted Geese. We'll discuss apparent contradictions on the crucifixion and death of Jesus with Dr. Peter Scare, and we'll study the hymn, In the Cross of Christ I Glory, with Dr. Arthur Just. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. This week on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah. We'll learn about the difference between piety and pietism, and we'll talk about why it's important to learn about marriage from a godly worldview. It's National Nutrition Month. We'll have our favorite dietitian of the St. Louis District Dairy Council, Camille Smith, in with some great ideas. And we'll talk about the difference between shame and guilt and what that means as we enter into Good Friday. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO. Underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. In a day when numerous concerns about money and safety abound in this fallen world, there is still a beacon of hope in Christ Jesus spreading the gospel message of mercy. Worldwide, KFUO has been a good steward of donations, ensuring the safety of funds our listener-supported ministry receives. If you have questions about donating to keep this worldwide ministry healthy, send an email to gifts at kfuo.org. My dogma? Oh, no. My karma ran over your dogma. <laughs> that is the bumper sticker I saw the other day, uh, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, but it shows the distaste that the world has for dogma, for the, this, the D word, whereas we Christians are given over to rejoice in dogma simply as the teaching of the Scripture, the teaching of Jesus. If, when, when God opens it, everybody wants to be spiritual but not religious. But what that means is we want a God who doesn't say anything. And as soon as God opens his mouth, you have doctrine. You have teaching. You have, you have dogma. So we want God to open his mouth. We want to hear what God has to say. And especially we rejoice when we do hear what he has to say because he says stuff like, I forgive you your sins. And I, I have made a place for you in eternal life. That's what we are talking about this afternoon on Cross Defense. On Worldwide KFUO, I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller uh, hosting this afternoon. I'm joined by Pastor Rob Rebow, Pastor Matt Ginnay, uh, who are here talking about this, uh, the problems that we have with dogma in the church. We have two problems. One is we say, ah, we don't want it. And the other is we say, we can invent it ourselves. It reminds me a lot of Peter. Uh, you know, when Jesus comes to wash the disciples' feet, Peter says, no, no, no. You can't, don't wash my feet, I should wash your feet. And Jesus says, no, I have to wash your feet. And then Peter says, well, uh, wash my whole body then. And Jesus says, you're, you're clean, only your feet need to be washed. It, it's the same sort of error. We don't want anything to do with it, or we want to take control of it. And, and so we don't want anything to do with doctrine, doctrine and dogma, or we want to take control of it. And that's what we're going to talk about in this uh, segment now. The church trying to take control of the dogma and trying to create dogma itself. 
Uh, we, in fact, Peeper is going to give us some examples of this: how the Roman Catholic Church does it, how the how the Reformed Church does it, how the Arminian uh, Church, the Church of the Free Will, uh, is going to do it, and how it's going to say, "Hey, this is doctrine, this is dogma, you have to believe in it." Uh, uh, Rob, get get us warmed up a little bit on the whole idea that the Church can create her own dogma. This is a popular idea. And I think to be charitable, and I am being charitable, uh, it always comes from pious motivations. The idea is we don't want to argue all the time. We don't want to get, we don't want to rehash the same issues over and over again. So as long as the church has agreed on it, it's now it's off topic. We don't need to discuss it anymore. Sounds very pious. Hey, it's it's like the idea of answering open questions that people dealt with in the last section by defining them as the things that the Church has declared to be open. The problem is that it, it sets up men, and uh, men and women, Christians themselves, as the arbiters of what is and isn't God's Word. We can only go back to Scripture. Scripture itself is God's Word, and so we can't Say that the church creates dogmas or the church creates doctrine. We receive doctrine, we receive dogmas from the scriptures. So we didn't go out and make up the Trinity one day. We received the Trinity from the scriptures. We use the con- what the Trinity described, what the scriptures have described, told us about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so, again, I think it's a pious motivation, but the, the devil uses our pious motivations to his end sometimes, and this is one of those cases where we fall into the air believing that doctrine or dogma is an invention of the Church, and therefore something that can be dismissed by the Church, or, uh, or that new doctrines, new dogmas can be invented by the Church as long as all of the Christians agree. Yeah, there's a whole idea of the development of dogma or the development of doctrine that I think in some ways that we have to reject altogether, that doctrine itself and our understanding of God is not a growing sort of thing, but uh, but rather it's that it's given to us in the Scripture. Matt, thoughts on this uh, as we as we get warmed up to think about how the error of the Church creating her own teaching? Well, the job of a pastor or the job of a theologian is actually similar to the job of a scientist in that scientist doesn't create some element or some... Well, whatever it is that he's studying, but rather the scientist discovers it and he takes uh, things that are known and puts them together into a system. And this is what the theologian does, too. We look to Holy Scripture and we discover what is in Holy Scripture. Don't invent it. We discover it. And then we take these things that we have discovered and we put them in an orderly fashion. How do they make sense together and how is it applied in the church? Um, so I know people like to take uh, science and religion as being opposite things, but they are, this task is actually actually quite similar. I really like that because one of the dangers that we have, if we start making our own doctrine and start making our own stuff up, then it, I mean, it, it'll be wrong and it'll be dangerous and it'll be boring. I mean, I think that's the worst part about it. I mean, the reason why God has to tell us the truth is because we couldn't get to it any other way. 
uh, the, the scriptures say, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, his, that his thoughts are higher than ours, and especially his thoughts of mercy. I mean, if we were left to our own to discover how it is with God, we would know that he's good and big and mad, but that's about it. We would never know that he's incarnate, that he's three persons and one being, that he's uh, dead on the cross for our sins. We would never be able to know these surprising things about God. We just couldn't get there on our own. So when we approach the task of theology as a scientist looking to discover things that we don't know, rather than as a what an uh, an architect trying to make the vision of our own mind manifest outside of ourselves, when we, when we approach it with the idea of discovery, then we find on every page of the Scripture surprise after surprise after surprise. Things that we could never come to on our own, which is which is why theology is so joyful, and it's why man-made doctrine is not only so pernicious and bad for us, but it's also so boring. I mean, it's boring to study the made-up theologies of all the other world religions because they lack the surprise of the true doctrine, which descends from heaven uh, like the rain. I I want to take this up, this idea uh, of man-made doctrine. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you uh, on this one with um, with the idea of Rome. Francis Pieper says that uh, our friends in the Roman Catholic Church will do this all the time by inventing their own dogmas and requiring agreement with them or obedience to them for salvation even. Give us a couple of examples, and what do you think about that? Well, a couple that uh, Pieper has there, they, he has the uh, infallibility of the Pope, which is a, a dogma of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, but it's not just Roman Catholics that do this, as, as you rightly point out. Um, this is where I appreciate the writings of the earlier Lutheran theologians so much, in that when they have a thesis or a point, the first thing they do to back it up is they have Holy Scripture. This is what we believe because these are some Scripture verses and what Scripture teaches. Then after that, they look at the Lutheran confessions. This is where the confessions agree with Holy Scripture. And then they go to the church where they say, and these are what the church fathers and church theologians of generations past have said about the same subject, and they're all in agreement. Now, what a lot of other church, not what a lot of other church bodies do, what some do is they take what does the church say, and then they look at other doctrinal writings, and then they look at Holy Scripture. So they put the cart before the horse in that regard. Um, a, a quick story. Ascension is a merged congregation between uh, St. John Lutheran Church and our Savior Lutheran Church. And the pastor of our Savior Lutheran Church and myself, the pastor of St. John, for months we got into a phony theological argument because his congregation used purple pyramids in Advent and we used blue. And so we would say, no, Jesus clearly wants us to use blue because and then we'd quote some scripture verse and twist it around to make it look like I'm the holy and pious one and you're the sinner by having purple. And then he would talk about why purple is the better color and, and give me some scripture verses. But it, it was all silly. Jesus didn't say purple. Jesus didn't say blue. Jesus didn't even say Advent. That's that's a church tradition. Um, but and we knew that we were being silly in talking about this. But when you're inventing uh, dogmas and insisting that other people believe them, and insisting that they admit that Jesus has taught these things. This is where you put the soul in peril. Yeah, say a little bit, and maybe Rob piggyback on that. So it puts the soul in peril, uh, Matt said, when we, what, when we demand obedience to man-made doctrine. Why? What's the, what's the danger to a soul for believing uh, something that the Church says is true is true? Well, the danger is that if it's not something that God has said, then who's your God? What's your source of knowledge about God? Are you worshiping a creature or a creator? 
And uh, so, yeah, uh, you, you don't want to do this. And I think Matt did an excellent job of pointing out that it's not just the use of Scripture. It's the direction. It's whether or not the cart has been put before the horse. It's not like uh, other churches ignore what the Bible has to say, but often uh, they'll start with the dogma, and then they'll use the Scripture to back that up, rather than pulling out the dogmas from the Scripture. Yeah, you have an assertion, and then it's it's almost more like a philosophical assertion, and then the Scriptures have to line up to support that philosophical assertion. Uh, Francis Pieper gives us the example of of this in Reformed theology, uh, when he talks about, and it's, I thought this was a really interesting example uh, that he brought up, where he says that the that the Holy Spirit needs no vehicle, and this becomes a a philosophical assertion of the Reformed theologians that they use to build up their own doctrine and to refute the Lutheran doctrine. Um, Rob, can you talk? Give us a little bit of background about actually what the reformed are saying when they say the holy spirit needs no vehicle and then and then and then let's bring it back to this conversation about making up doctrine and dogma what are they getting after what do they mean to say when they say these things well i uh it's not so of course when lutherans uh speak about the reform they're they're using that that label very broadly and uh I think today it would be portions of the Reformed churches that are more in this camp than perhaps others. But this idea that uh, that the Spirit works either alongside means or apart from means, it is uh, classic Reformed theology, and you can find this in many different areas in the background of a lot of, uh, a lot of their teachings. And it, it's a philosophical idea. It's uh, at its heart, and perhaps it's not charitable to call it this, somewhat neoplatonic, and this idea that the Spirit is out there doing the Spirit thing, but it's detached from any means. Paper points out and just starts bringing Scripture against this idea by pointing out that God teaches us that we hear through the Word, uh, through the Gospel, that faith comes by hearing, by the washing of regeneration, with the washing of water, that God uses physical things, words. He uses uh, sacraments, water, wine, bread, that God uses these things to communicate to us, and that the Spirit doesn't just uh, pop into our head one day. In fact, if you're walking around the woods and the Spirit's popping into your head one day apart from the Word, that's probably a Spirit you shouldn't listen to. The Spirit that we listen to, the Holy Spirit, is the one who communicates to us through the Scriptures, through the word. Matt, thoughts on this? There's a big difference between saying uh, the Holy Spirit needs no vehicle, which is a true statement, uh, and the Holy Spirit does not employ vehicles, which Scripture teaches is a false statement. Um, what does God do? You have to turn to Holy Scripture to see that, as Rob has pointed out, and what Holy Scripture teaches throughout is that God always employs vehicles, although he doesn't need them, uh, God loves his creation to the extent that he works through his creation to redeem his creation, um, most specifically through water, uh, bread, and wine. I do not think, Matt, by the way, that it's a, a, a ungenerous to call this Neoplatonic. I mean, because if you press this all the way, you end up denying the Incarnation itself. I mean, if the Holy Spirit is not 
does is bound to work um, apart from means and immediately, then you you disconnect the Holy Spirit from the from the flesh and blood of Jesus Himself uh, eventually, and it, you have this Gnostic division. I think that's been the the Lutheran argument against it. But to bring it back to the kind of the point, because this isn't the main point. Peeper is pulling this out as an example of a church that will that'll make up its own doctrine or make up its own dogma and then require people to believe it and it instead of being good and healthy dogma it becomes unhealthy dogma because it's not leading people uh, it's it's not unfolding the scriptures but rather it's obscuring the scriptures and so he gives that to us as another example of of the dangers of dogma now what I what I'm interested in from you guys is examples of this practice that you have seen um, it, it just in your own ministry and your own work and your own life. Uh, it might not be that we run into a lot of Calvinists. I mean, if you're on Twitter, you run into Calvinists all the time. They, they're everywhere on Twitter. But in real life, you can hardly ever find a, a Calvinist who believes this stuff. But um, But what are the dogmas that the church is generating now that are unscriptural but that are just kind of coming out of nowhere or coming out of the church's mind that uh that people want to be obligated to believe uh nowadays can, can you think of a few of those and let's talk through that list uh um let's see rob why don't you go first on that if you have anything sure sure i do i do in fact um it comes in in two different directions and i think whenever we say the doctrines of the church is inventing. People may be tempted to run to their favorite uh, preacher or evangelist and say, well, that's why I don't go to church. I just listen to pastor so-and-so. And the, 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 what's the, the Reformers have always made, uh, the Reformers always made the connection between the problem of a, a, a church authority, ecclesiastical authority, inventing doctrine and dogma that is apart from Scripture, and the, the guy out in the field who says, I have a word from God, they're doing the same thing. Hmm. One may, may say they're doing it apart from the church, and, some, and they, they agree. They're like, oh, yeah, you can't listen to the church and all those church dogmas. But God's been talking to me, and what God has to say, fill in the blank, right? It's the same thing. Hmm. Whether it's coming from the preacher on television, perhaps, or the radio that is uh, inventing doctrines, dogmas, getting a word from God, or whether it's a church, an ecclesiastical authority saying, no, we have the corner on what God has to say. If, if, it's, a, if it's not from Scripture, it's coming from the same source, and that's not God. That, no, that is an amazing point, and it reminds me of the point that Martin Luther made in the Reformation. If we were looking at the Reformation... We'd probably see two very two extremes on one side and on the other. On this side is the Catholic Church arguing for the authority of the Pope. On the other side were the Anabaptists. I mean, sometimes they didn't have any preachers at all. They would gather in silence and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon someone. I mean, one looks very authoritarian and hierarchical. One looks very anarchic and uh, you know, kind of chaotic. But Luther looks at them both and he says they're the same. They both have what we call theological enthusiasm, and that is that they find the realm of theology not to be God's word, 
but rather the internal chamber of the heart. It's enthusiasm that drives the Anabaptist. It's enthusiasm that drives the Pope. It's not God's word, but the but their own internal uh, thoughts about that stuff. And from the the chamber of the heart comes these doctrines, these dogmas, these assertions, which are not Scripture, but which we want to bind each other to. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that on the other side of this break, and then we're going to talk about the right view. In what, When we say the word dogma, what are we saying? How do we define it rightly uh, from Scripture? And how can it be a help to us? Uh, that'll be the topic, the question that we take up on the other side of this break. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. I've got Pastor Rob Rebau, Matt Ganai, on the line with me talking about dogma, the right way and the wrong way to treat your dogma. Uh, this afternoon on Cross Defense, you're listening to Worldwide KFUO. Stay tuned to the break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1. Each weekday, the servants of God at the LCMS International Center gather together to receive the gifts of God in His Word. I invite you to join us weekdays, 10 a.m., for a live broadcast of daily chapel services on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. In 1904, Evangeline Booth became director of the Salvation Army Operations in the U.S., an organization founded in London by her parents in 1865 to help the poor of London, a role in which she served for 30 years. And playing a significant role in urging the United States to allow Salvation Army women to serve overseas during World War I, assisting the troops. In 1919, Evangeline Booth was awarded the Distinguished Service Medal by President Woodrow Wilson. She described the work of the Salvation Army using words from John 1, an army of hosts of men and women who cry in all the languages of the earth, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. In 1934, Evangeline Booth became the fourth general of the International Salvation Army, its first woman general. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. The cross needs no defense, but the show is called Cross Defense. So we're defending the Lord's doctrine, not by our own strength, but letting the Lord's word, in fact, defend us, defend our conscience, defend our hope in the resurrection, uh, defend the joy that we have in doctrine, in dogma itself. And that's the topic that we're talking about today, dogma, the right and wrong view of dogma in the church. 
If you think it's boring, well, you're wrong, because when the Lord speaks, he always surprises us. That's one of the joys of reading the Bible and having our dogma drawn from the Scripture is that every page has a surprise. The Lord never does what we expect him to do. He always comes uh, unexpectedly and forgives our sins and blesses us and gives us things that we don't deserve, that we could never deserve, including eternal life and the sure hope of the resurrection of the body. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor over at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, and I'm uh, joined by Pastor Rob Rebau of Concordia Publishing House and Pastor Matt Ganey of Chicago Ascension Lutheran in Chicago. We are talking about dogma, the right way, and the wrong way to treat your dogma. Uh, and we're talking about how the church has the temptation to make up our own dogma. That's dangerous. And demand that people be obedient to or hold to our own thoughts. Uh, that's not only dangerous, that's idolatrous. Uh, Rob, you talked about it. Matt, your turn. What what dogmas do you see the church crafting out of the bosom of our own heart these days where we're trying to hold people to believe certain things that the Scripture wouldn't hold them to? Well, I, I will tell you the truth. I might not be the best equipped to answer this. I find that the work of caring for the people of this congregation is so um, time-consuming that I don't really look at what other pastors and uh, other theologians are saying. That being said, I'll talk anyway. Yeah, talk, that's what it's about on radio. <laughs> I wanted to really highlight something that Rob said that I think that bears some repeating. Uh, Rob talked about the isolation that some Christians engage in, and, and they get um, they get into the cycle of their own thoughts, and that that is a dangerous thing. The Lord intended for the church to be in fellowship with one another, and one of the benefits of that is not only like emotional in that you have a connection with others. But also you can check your doctrine against others. Uh, and that's happened with me a few times when, as I get lost in my own thoughts about Holy Scripture, I will mention to one of my brothers um, in the ministry, you know, this is what I'm seeing here and this is what I'm thinking about this particular theological subject. And they've said, no, your thinking is off here and there. And then they correct my doctrine. Uh, that's one of the functions of the church. And every once in a while, I will hear something like, why are the Lutherans engaged in conversations with that church body? Well, because it happens on an, an international level as well. We in America think that this is what the Scripture teaches, and we talk with our Lutheran brethren or uh, another denomination, and they come to a different understanding. Um, and we might not ultimately agree, but our arguments are sharpened. Uh, I think there's another show on this station, Sharper Iron. Um, when I counsel the people of my congregation, I am always amazed at the human mind and how it has the capacity to fill in gaps and create systems. Um, and when I talk with individuals, they have their own theology, they have their own set of doctrines, which sometimes I have to affirm and sometimes I have to correct. Um, things like, go, oh, God forgives everyone, but I don't feel forgiven, therefore I'm not forgiven. Um, my friend is a good person who is engaged in this sin and is not repentant, but why would a loving Jesus uh, condemn this good person to hell? Um, things concerning the validity of the sacraments, communion and holy baptism, things involving the role of women in the church. Uh, this is why the church needs to come together and talk about these difficult issues so we can come to the correct dogma, that is, what does Scripture really teach about these things, and come to a good understanding, and as Rob keeps saying during this interview, a charitable understanding of those who disagree with us as well. Rob is a true gentleman, and I appreciate being on with him. Yeah, that's re really great. I mean, we have this. Um, uh, we we there, there's a compassion with which we deal with with each other, and um, 
uh, with people of different confessions, different doctrines, uh, recognizing that um, there's a difference between the person who is the false teacher and the person who is falsely taught. One of the things that when we're dealing, for example, with Francis Pieper, he's quoting the theologians who are the false teachers, but but as pastors, we're most often, and as Christians, we're not we're not most often dealing with the false teachers, but we're dealing with the falsely taught. And Luther has a great uh, illustration uh, to to talk about that. He says the difference between the false teacher and the falsely taught is the difference between the child and the dog that bites the child. I mean, you treat if there's a dog that bites that you treat the dog very differently than you treat the child, and so the false teacher is treated with a degree of harshness but the child who's been bitten is treated with a degree of compassion uh and um and tenderness uh, necessary to to help them in the wound that they have and so that's a great a great reminder in the midst of all of this and i think something else too matt that you said reminded me that that really when anybody holds a, a, a false teaching uh that they're doing exactly what we're talking about here they're they're setting up a a dogma a doctrine apart from the scriptures and they're they're requiring it one of the one of the ones that I hear all the time is uh, well don't we all have a free will it's this idea of the assumed freedom of the will of the sinner to believe God or to follow him or something like this and it's not asserted from the scriptures it's just simply asserted out of the air don't we all have a free will and we start to build our theology on that um, uh, what on that on that philosophical premise of the free will rob thoughts on that as a artificial dogma thoughts on the free will yes uh, <clears throat> it's uh one of the solutions that people have given to the problem of uh well that we call the crux theologorum the idea that god desires all men to be saved and yet not all men are saved and so how do we explain why some people aren't saved and others are um you know and so the the solution to this problem that's offered up is the solution of free will that it's because people haven't freely chosen uh god for themselves the struggle that we have is that in scripture we we teach that uh, that salvation is by god's grace that it's that god is the actor that we receive no credit for our own salvation that our decision for Christ or our accepting Christ is not the one work that we need to do in order to be saved, but rather that God has done it all, and that God is the author and the perfecter of our salvation. All right, guys, let's hear the voice of Peeper himself. I'm going to read a paragraph here. This is going to be the last thing that we'll we'll consider, and this is going to be the right, the definition of dogma, uh, and how we're to understand the relationship between dogma and the Church. Peeper writes, It'll certainly not do to define as dogma any doctrine which merely asks for or claims to have the sanctions of the Church. In other words, Church can't invent dogma. The correct definition is that dogma is a Church dogma which is taken from the manual of, Christ, of the Christian Church, that is, from the Holy Scripture. And every dogma which does not have its origin in Scripture is unchurchly. As matters stand, it cannot be otherwise. The Christian Church has no doctrine of its own. It possesses, teaches, and confesses only Christ's doctrine. Rob, thoughts on that? Yes, it's the correct source uh, for doctrine, the correct source for theology. It's, if theology is the study of God, if theology is words about God, 
then we can only get those words about God from God. Scripture has to be the source of our theology and the norm of our theology. If we are using anything else to to define the questions or even or and especially to answer them, then then it's no longer theology. It's speculation about God. It's not God's words about God. It's not his self-revelation if it doesn't come from the scriptures. This has been a theme that we've been reflecting on all through uh, the first hundred pages of this uh, this epic work of Christian dogmatics. If it's not from the scriptures, it's not helpful. If it's not from the scriptures, it's not it's not it's not the truth uh, that brings life. Uh, if it's not from the scriptures, what are we doing? What are we doing with it? Um, Matt, th- thoughts on this definition of dogma from Pieper here? The right definition of dogma. I, yes, the Word of God creates the church, just as it created the world, uh, and the Word of God also lays out the dogma, the teachings of the church. And I, I don't remember where I read it, but I have read something that argues against this, in which God created the church first, and then the church assembled Holy Scripture. So the, the church is the uh, originator of dogma, uh, which I think is not only scriptural, this this runs against what scripture teaches, uh, but also it, it begs the question, if that if the church originates doctrine, then that means that the church is all-powerful. What does the church say about itself? And now we're looking at our own experience, we're looking at our own institutions, we're looking at all sorts of man-made things to guide us into all truth, when Jesus is the truth, as he says. We look to Jesus. We look to the Word of God. We look to truth that is, as it has been revealed to us. We don't look to sinful man who sometimes gets things right and sometimes gets things wrong. Yeah, the, that's a classic argument of the Catholic apologists, that the, that the Church was first and the Scriptures came later, so that um, the Church is the foundation and the Scriptures are the building that stands on the foundation of the Church, and it, and it, it reverses this order. Rob, you, any thoughts on how we ought to answer that charge or that claim? Sure. You know, often it'll be said that uh, there is an apostolic doctrine, and that the apostolic doctrine uh, resides apart from the scriptures. I, I often quip, uh, well, what, what doctrine do we have from the apostles apart from their writings? I mean, we have the writings of the blessed apostles. It's called the New Testament. And uh, so scripture is the apostolic, presents to us the apostolic doctrine. If we go beyond scripture to find apostolic doctrine, how, how do we know it's correct? Uh, what, what's our source? How do we know? Scripture is the record from the apostles, and Scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is the inspired Word of God. It's, it is the sole source and norm for theology. And we see that, that theology throughout the ages, when it's been done well, has held this up as a standard again and again. The Church Fathers, they're at their best when they go to Scripture, and we agree with them when they go to Scripture. They're at their worst when they're making things up and shooting from the hip. And we can see and recognize those errors as departures from Holy Scripture. The Church is built not on the sand of our own thoughts and opinions, but on the rock-solid Word of God. And before the Church speaks God's Word, it has to first hear God's Word. It's His Word that's spoken that creates life. Just like at the beginning when the Lord said, let there be, and there was, so that... 
uh, efficacious and authoritative speaking of God is heard uh, in the scriptures. And if we're listening to the man's word, uh, to, to the word of man, it's not bringing forth life. Uh, it's, uh, it's maybe describing God's word at best. But most likely that man's word is bringing forth death. But God's word it brings forth life, like the apostle said. Lord, uh, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Uh, gentlemen, we're, we're about uh, to the end of the hour, which I can't believe, so we're going to wind it down. So uh, a minute or a minute and a half for your final thoughts. Matt, we'll start with you. Oh, my, my first final thought is that uh, baseball starts on uh, Monday, Thursday, and I think this is going to be the Cubs' year. We're going to win the World Series again. <laughs> that um, is a doctrine of man right there. <laughs> um, but and with regard to the topic that we have been discussing, um, I'm glad that we discussed it because dogma, that word, um, it continually has a bad connotation when it is a great gift of God. He lays it out for us in Holy Scripture in such a way that the child can go to Holy Scripture and can understand the most important parts of it. And the aged, learned adults with a Ph.D. never stops being fascinated by Holy Scripture. Um, we're continually not inventing new things, but discovering new wisdom that God has laid out for us for our salvation. Fantastic. Uh, Rob, thoughts from you? I would like to redact Matt's statement and note that by Cubs, he meant Cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> representing my people down here in St. Louis. Oh, uh, man. Now, seriously, I, I would think that um, we should we should hear, we should really listen to people that uh, say things like, deeds, not creed, no creed by Christ. And what I mean by listen to them is uh, try to understand where they're coming from and perhaps even what they've been through. Uh, being dogmatic does not mean... Uh, should should not be something that is taken uh, that is always heard in a negative light, and it's it's the responsibility of those who who cherish things like the words of Peter as a witness to what God has taught us in His Scriptures to to communicate those things in a way that that brings out the excitement and the vibrancy of learning about God and His Word. It's it's a wonderful thing uh, to 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 learn theology. And to learn more about the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, uh, may we all repent of any times when we've been dogmatic about dogma. That is, that we've done it in a negative way. And instead, uh, may we learn to repent of those times and return to talking about doctrine and theology with the life and the, sol and the, the blessedness that we have in Jesus. Um, I, I just, uh, you know, charity, charity in those things, to understand maybe where they're coming from, and to see if you can win a new convert, someone who will come back and, and find and love talking about people the way I love talking about it, and Pastor uh, Gunia loves talking about it, and yourself. It, it is a, a wonderful thing to bask in the revelation that God has given us of himself. Gentlemen, thank you very much. The, the, you're right about this, uh, Pastor Rebow, that when we are confident uh, of hearing God's Word and the truth of His Word, it also gives us confidence to listen to one another, to hear what the other person has to say, and also to consider how we might bless them with the joy and the peacefulness of the Lord's Word, with the confidence and the comfort of the Lord's dogma, and most especially of the great joy of knowing that Christ was crucified for me and for every sinner that I come into contact every day. This is not a competition.
to see who's going to get it right. This is a joy, uh, a life of joy in the Lord's gifts. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Thanks for joining us this week on Cross Defense. We'll talk to you again on the other side of Easter next Monday. Uh, Join us then on Worldwide KFUO. You've been listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.